This is the Prestigious Initiative, and these are the points. I'm Chris Bean, and here with me is Chris Kent. Hello, Mr. Kent. Hello, sir. Today we had our conversation with Bernice George. Uh, do you have any, any feedback or, or uh, takeaways right off the back from our conversation? Or rather, uh, your conversation with her? Yes, sir. I, uh, well, firstly, I was very impressed with, with Bernice and everything she had to say. I think that I mentioned it in the episode too, but it's such an uh, important topic that sometimes I think tends to be pushed to the side, which is another reason why it's so important. But also, uh, it does extend or transcend some boundaries. So I know that she specifically likes to, or not likes to, but her expertise is dealing with women and, and specifically advocating for them and helping them to advocate for themselves. But I think we can all benefit from it, whether or not we're a woman or a man or anything in between. I think these are important things for us to develop and work on. Uh, but I do think that at the end of the day, it's more important that we help to advocate and empower women, which is exactly what Bernice is doing. And you can tell uh, by the way she spoke and the things she had to say that she cares a lot about um, this topic and about women and about people in general. And so it was wonderful to sit down and, and talk to her and, and really just, I felt like I was getting a, a masterclass in, in this topic from someone who really knows what they're talking about and uh, really cares about that, uh, that uh, topic. Yeah. You know, the, the first topic that we discussed was, was having a coherent identity, which is essentially uh, how you, how consistent you are, how you show up as a consistent person across the different areas of your life, your, your personality, your, your likes, your dislikes, you know, really, are you one person in this sort of setting or are you a different person in a different setting would be a lack of coherent identity. But having a, a coherent identity, showing up as the same type of person wherever you go, uh, you know, is, is definitely key to allowing other people to know who you are, how you're going to be, and not just outside of work, but at work as well. And, and I thought that was, a, you know, a very beneficial kind of topic in connection with having the opportunity to advocate for yourself. Knowing who you are is a key to being able to advocate for yourself. You can't advocate for yourself if you don't necessarily know who you are. That would be trying to build a house on, on, on sand. It wouldn't work. So having a coherent identity, of course, is key to self-advocacy. What do you, do you have any takeaways from that? I think it's, like you said, it's important to keep in mind across many different aspects of life, not only because you want to be consistent to the people you come across, but also to yourself. If you are are constantly trying to switch roles or switch, maybe not roles, but switch who you are, um, I think it makes it twice as hard to um, develop your own self-advocacy and self-identity and, and empower yourself because you don't really know who you are. And I think Bernice talks about um, her ebook, um, talking about developing your identity and becoming consistent in your identity. And she said, you are not you. And I think that it's beneficial for all of us to sit down and have a time, maybe if guided through an ebook or by a coach or something else where you really, again, sit down and define who you are. And that's something we talk about and practically every single episode of this podcast is having your values and your goals and aligning those things so that you are um, consistent. And and that's a good way to put something that I think we've been um, advocating for as a, as a podcast for, for, well, the whole time. Yeah. And, and, you know, one, one thing that she said was uh, having a coherent identity can serve as your roadmap. Uh, to be the type of person you want to be that will, like you said, will align yourself with your values. And of course, that will help others know, like when you when you have a coherent identity, then other people can know 
by default what your coherent identity is, and that will help in, in connection with self-advocacy, them knowing who you are. Because lots of times you associate with people, you talk to people, you're around people, you don't necessarily know who they are, and you see them out with somebody else, and they're acting wildly different, then they lack that coherent identity. And so that is having, like, that's a, that is, is, I guess that's a new concept to me. Having a coherent identity is, is not something I have, I have thought about or experienced previously, but what a, what a key concept to not being a wishy-washy type of person, for lack of a better, like, it's, it's um, show up as yourself, who you are, know who that is, and be consistent in that person that you show up as. You know, it, that acting as a roadmap will help to guide you and shift and, and mold you to the person that you want to be because that's the person who you are consistently showing up as. And I think it's interesting too because the way you're breaking that down could happen multiple ways, but I think there's two things I'm thinking of now. Number one, you define and uh, uh, identify who you are as yourself. And then you hold yourself accountable to be that person in all areas of your life, by yourself, with your family, with your friends, in public, at work. You hold yourself to that standard because you've identified your values, your goals, your character traits, your responsibilities, whatever it is, you defined yourself and you hold yourself to that. And the other side of that too, I think, which is kind of more of what you're alluding to is you've defined who you are to other people and then you hold yourself to be that same person in all those area, other areas as well. Does that does that kind of make sense? Like instead of instead of it coming from me and extending outward, I'm first putting that here's who I want to be out in public or at work. Okay, well, how do I make sure that the person that I am in public is also the same person that I am in private? And and again, maybe there's many ways to go about it, and maybe uh, one is more effective than the other. But thinking about how we're we're, we're talking now, being consistent. And how you can go about doing that, whether it start with yourself or start on what you want people to see and then slowly funnel that into working on yourself and making yourself that person. But it is a huge, uh, powerful, um, well, advocate in making sure that you are consistent and, and really trying to be the person that you want to be. You know, and speaking of self-advocacy, she talked about how self-advocacy will help to set the example as far as what other people can strive for in the workplace. When you advocate for yourself, other people will start to see that as a basically as an, as an option, and they can do that for themselves. And of course, with that self-advocacy becomes an opportunity for you to tell people your strengths, your weaknesses, and then to shape and mold your position and allow that to fit with who and how you are, which of course then relates back to the to the coherent identity. Yeah, I mean, there's many different stories of of someone or uh, you know a group of people, a society, not knowing something was possible, and then one person does it. After that, one person does it. Hundreds of people do it because they have the example of knowing, hey, this is possible. And so this is kind of the same thing where you can decide to step up and be that example to other people to help lead them. And maybe that's not your goal. Maybe your goal is to lead other people. Maybe you're just doing it to be true to yourself. However, that does become an example for others to follow. And I know that Bernice gave a few examples when she was talking to us and to see how and what an impact that made. And we even talked in the interview about how 
you know, we do that for ourselves. We make these changes for ourselves. We advocate for ourselves. But just by doing that, it affects the culture and affects our community and it affects the the mindset of everyone around us. And so maybe you don't go into it with the mindset or purpose of trying to um, advocate for other people and, and be that, that beacon of change. Maybe go into it just for yourself. But as a result, you're going to make a difference in more than just your own life. And so uh, yet again, another important reason why uh, advocation for yourself and, and empowerment in yourself is so crucial because it's not just about you. It may start out by about you, but whether you like it or not, it's going to affect other people. And so being aware of the change that you're trying to affect and the person you're trying to be yet again is so important so that we're making the positive change rather than something that, uh, is, is, you know, destructive or not beneficial to ourselves or those around us. And of course, shifting gears a little bit, the next kind of topic that we talked about was having radical responsibility and radical responsibility is reminiscent of me of, of what Jocko Willink calls extreme ownership in, with the addition of having a, a, a positive intention, right? So you have, you take ownership over whatever it is that you that you have as radical responsibility, you take radical responsibility for your actions, but you do that with a positive intent. So it's not just yes, I did this, woe is me. But you do that, and then you try to find the good that can come out of that. Like okay, this thing happened. Yes, it's my fault. I own up to this to this problem that I that I now made, and here's the benefit, or here's how we can benefit, or, or look on the bright side of what happens. And of course, having that positive intent will help to align your your actions with your successes because your actions are directly dependent on your success sorry your your success is directly dependent on your actions on the backwards your success is directly dependent on your actions and so if you can take radical responsibility for yourself have a, a you know take that extreme ownership that Jocko uh, willing calls and then couple that with a positive intent that will align your actions so that you can succeed in lots of different areas because your success is defined by your actions. It's a transformative idea, whether you call it extreme ownership or radical responsibility. Um, it's all the same kind of idea where you are taking ownership, taking responsibility, taking control of everything that happens. And I like that you mentioned, and it's important to keep in mind, the positive spin to it because you can just take responsibility for it and do nothing about it. Uh, but taking responsibility for it and trying to make the situation or whatever it is better because of that responsibility, uh, I think is, is largely beneficial. And like I said, transformative, of course, that means that you have much more responsibility or ownership over everything and not ownership as in this is mine. I control it. It, it is exactly what I want it to be, but ownership in the sense that I think responsibility is a good word where, Sometimes you don't always, you know, responsibility is, is something that is not always directly your fault. However, you are now in charge or you are now in ownership and you are required to kind of deal with it. And so I do like responsibility, radical responsibility as a parallel to extreme ownership, because I think it's, uh, again, emphasizes the fact that, hey, even if you didn't cause this, you are now responsible for it by your own admission. And so what, what I'm trying to get at is, Having that mindset is extremely transformative, extremely powerful, and with the positive intent, I think it can be a, a, a very um, uh, encouraging, a very positive, a very uh, beneficial uh, trait to have. However, 
that literally means that you're taking ownership responsibility for everything that you can, which is uh, a big weight to bear. Um, but it does come with, with so much, um, potential for success and growth and empowerment. Um, so as much as it is a, a, a job or a chore or extra work, I think it's definitely worth it. And in the end, I think, you know, as long as you have, as, as you said, Mr. Bean, the positive intent and in, in trying to transform those situations, I think it can be a, a great uh, trait or philosophy to kind of to kind of live by. Yeah. You know, I, I really liked how she talked about honoring your skills and your talents. And she related this to inner peace, which, which we will talk come up to a little bit later, but honoring your your skills and your talents which will be a, a modality, a, a method for you to overcome you know, obstacles that come your way by honoring your strengths and your, your talents, your skills that you already have. And you know, with that, by also having at least a basic understanding of the, the culture of the workplace, of how it operates. And, and of course, like, she, like you said, she talked uh, specifically about women advocating for themselves in the workplace. And so if you are doing that, it's important to have an understanding of what the workplace is like, what is the culture like, how do things work in the workplace so that you, you can advocate for yourself with the intent or the, 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 um, with the intent of, of benefiting yourself in accordance to keeping your skills and your talents at the key at the, at the heart of why and what you're doing for that. Yeah. I, it was interesting to hear her bring that up because I think this is a divisive topic. I think that a lot of people say, they either say, Hey, you need to, to find something that you enjoy. We talked about, she might give the example of painting and, and how that can kind of feed into things, find something you enjoy and try to make your career out of it. But a whole nother group of people say, have your career separate from your hobby and what you enjoy. And so it's interesting to hear her talk about that because um, I think it is a fine line. There's a reason why it's a divisive topic because we're not always able to take something that we're passionate about and make a career out of it. Sometimes we have to have our career separate from our passion. Those two things kind of exist separately. But the way I'm looking at this is that you can have your passion. If that lines up with your career, great awesome. You can make that work for you and, and go really far with that. If you can't find a career that lines up with your passion, still take time to invest in that passion outside of your career. So your career is for making money. And then after you're done working, you can lead a painting workshop. You can go to a painting class. You can have a painting party with your peers and your friends and still nurture that passion and be a leader in that area. It doesn't always have to be within work. And so again, I think it's a divisive topic. I like that she brought it up, um, but there are many different ways that you can still use your passion to help empower yourself and others and find your self-identity within that, not always necessarily because it's your career. Uh, and maybe it was just an example she was sharing, and, and she has opinions on other side, the other side of that as well. Uh, but I do think that it doesn't have to always be tied to your career, but it should still be a priority in your life that you can advocate for yourself to take part in, but also help to empower you because you're being engaged with it. And um, that's just my two cents on that. Sure. Yeah, I think, and she talked about this, but when you have your passion, if your work is something wildly different or, or just even different at all, that you try to incorporate your passion to your work. How can you show up 
as a type of, as you talked about painting and, and art, how can you show up in, in the type of person that is in the, the office type of atmosphere and bring that type of passion into your work? And I think what that will do is that'll allow you to shift the focus from, man, I have to show up to work. This is so different than what I actually want to do, which is this art and creating and painting, but I have to go to work. And so by bringing that passion into your work day, the place, and, and allowing that part of you to overspill in the other area will bring a sense of, of, of confidence and a sense of passion and, and achievement and worthwhileness out of the, the day job, quote unquote, uh, by allowing that version of you or that, that part of you to overspill into your your day work life. Mm, yes, sir. Yeah, maybe that's what she meant and I, I missed it. So I'm glad we broke that down. Uh, you know, another thing that she talked about, which which is is wildly interesting, and and I, I I did not did not know this, but she said that women are more likely to undervalue themselves compared to men, which means that men overvalue themselves. And okay, I know a fair bit of men. They yep, that's true. That we as general men do that, uh, but I did I wasn't aware that women undervalue themselves. And so, with that in mind. It's important, especially speaking from men's side of, of, of this conversation, is when we are managing or, or working with women and we ask them to value themselves or what, do we, you know, what are your, your strengths and weaknesses, we have to understand that they are going to undervalue themselves in those situations. And we have to take that into account as we are guiding or shaping or helping, coaching, whatever, uh, mentoring them on, you know, whatever it is. And with, coupled with that, she talked about how confidence equals competence. And those two things are, are directly related. And of course, you want to be able to communicate confidence with your body language. And so all of those things, I, I think, are, are connected together, that women under are more are more likely to undervalue themselves compared to men, which is something that that everybody needs to understand, both men and women. I think probably men need to know that because if we are managing the women, we need to know that that's a likely outcome that is going to happen. But also to understand that competence equals competence, and that you're. I said it backwards. You Com said the same thing. Competence. Nope. Sorry. Confidence equals competence. Comp. Confidence. Competence equals confidence. There we go. I believe. That, it's, I believe that way. Uh, <laughs> and then you want to communicate confidence with your body language. I said. I said confidence and competence too many times. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I think I don't know if you meant it this way. I don't think you did, but I think it's important to just because m most women statistically might undervalue themselves doesn't mean all women do. And so I don't think that we need to go into every conversation or every situation thinking, okay, if Sally tells me she's an eight, really she's a 10, or she tells me she's a four, really she's a six. Because I think what we're talking about right now is women finding their own confidence and being proud of their own confidence and self-advocating for themselves in their confidence. And so while statistically, maybe most women will undervalue themselves, I don't think it's always the case. I think we're trying to advocate for the exact opposite of that. And so I... I don't know. I, I think to say that it's our responsibility as men to help push the women up is a, it's not, it's, it's uh, yes, we need to help encourage everyone to be more powerful themselves, but 
I don't think we need to have those rose-colored glasses that any time a woman comes up to us in a workplace, we have to do them a favor by stepping them up a few steps or giving them a few more points, if that makes sense. So maybe you didn't mean it that way, but hearing you say that, I don't think that I don't want it to be interpreted that way. I don't think we're saying that, hey, we as men need to do women a favor by overvaluing them from what they believe. Maybe maybe it is a statistic, but it's not something that we need to do for them. If anything, we need to help them advocate for themselves and find their confidence and really value themselves um, as opposed to just say that, hey, I know you said this, but really... Because because I understand how women work, I'm going to say you actually can do this. And again, I don't think you meant it that way, but I think it's important to make that distinction. Um, and, uh, you know, on top of that, I think that when we're talking about finding your voice and, and really helping to advocate for everybody, it's important to give everyone that space. And, you know, maybe someone who isn't as confident in themselves, when we can give them ownership over something and give them the ability to to find their voice and use their voice, that can help bolster that confidence so that, you know, before X project, you valued yourself at this. Now, after X project where you've been in charge and been able to work with other people and been able to uh, uh, advocate for yourself, maybe you view yourself differently. And so I don't think maybe the approach is to automatically give you a few extra points. I think it's to help you find your own value and be confident in your own value so that you start to give yourself the extra points rather than me doing it for you, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, as you as listening, remembering what I said and listening to what you said, I think in in practice, the way to put that into action would be to get feedback on what Sally, for example, says that she can do, watch and evaluate what Sally can actually do, and then give her feedback on, actually, this was right on with what you said, good job, or actually, you, 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 know, you, you did a little bit better than what you thought about, or what you, what you originally told me. And so having that feedback after an opportunity to evaluate the job, task, whatever it is, uh, and then give feedback afterwards perhaps would be the, the practical way to put that uh, concept into action. Yes, sir. I think, I guess the, the distinction I was trying to make is I don't think it's a, a man versus woman thing. And I feel like when it was said, it was said, hey, as a man, we need to understand that women do this. And it's as a man, I, need to, it's, I don't think it's about what men can do for women. I think it's about what we can help women do for themselves. Well, I think Okay, so the the way the reason I said that was because as a man I didn't understand that women, and, and statistically, do that. And so without that understanding that that's a, a statistical probability, um, I would accept what Sally said as fact and not investigate any further. But knowing that that is a a statistical probability, take what Sally says as fact until you can witness and reevaluate what she claimed and then reevaluate if necessary um, moving forward with that evaluation in, in, in mind. Does that make sense? I think so. I think my issue is making it a gender thing. My issue well, is saying, I mean, oh, is, I treat women differently than is, I treat men. But it is a gender thing. Right. But I don't think you should go in it with the bias of, hey, Sally's not going to do very good. So let me see how she does and then try to reevaluate as opposed to Okay, this is what. But as a man, 
Okay, so if a man tells you the same thing, would you just assume, okay, yeah, he's a six because he told me he's a six? Well, because the the converse of this is true as well, because men over-evaluate themselves. And if a man says, I can do this, okay, show me. Okay, well, actually, you can't do that. I'm going to cut you down and put you back, not cut you down, but right. put you back into this area because you can't yeah. actually do that. Yeah. Because if women undervalue and men o- overvalue, then either way, there needs to be a evaluation that happens. So but, really what we're saying is, on both sides of it, what we need to do is get their initial idea of what they can do, evaluate their actual performance, and then help them to realize, hey, you're actually two steps above what you said, or, hey, man, sorry, you're actually two steps below what you said. Here's the the proof. How can we work to get you to, you know, where you said you were, or work to get from where you said you were up to where you were? So again, I, I don't think we're disagreeing with each other, except that I don't want it to be such a uh, black and white thing of man and woman. I don't want to, I don't want to look at a woman differently because of what a statistic says. Vice versa, I don't want to give a man something that he doesn't deserve because of what a statistic says. I think it's important that we do the evaluation for everybody and work off what we find rather than the preconceived notion of, hey, you're going to perform less than what you said, or you're going to perform better than what you said, or vice versa, or however that works. I do think that having that concept in your bag is beneficial when you're evaluating. Sure. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I just think we need to be careful about how we approach that. Using that knowledge in the right way, not just, oh yeah, you said you're going to underperform. Or you're going to underperform because of what you believe about yourself. I, I don't know. Maybe I can't articulate myself well, but I think it's important to use our knowledge correctly. And in this in this case, I think that means not undervaluing women just because they might undervalue themselves or overvalue men because they might overvalue themselves. I think actually this concept would allow men to overvalue women because if they undervalue themselves and we do a a math equation in our head, they say, they say five. Okay. Well, five probably actually means it's a, it's a six or seven. So let's, we would overvalue women as opposed to undervalue despite what they say and undervalue men because as a man, I can tell you, we overvalue what we can do or what we should be able to do. Sure. Um, well, maybe this deserves further conversation, but either way. Fair enough. Uh, the, so the next topic that, that she talked about was having a inner power. And part of inner power is self-awareness. With self-awareness, you want to ease, uh, to honestly identify and understand your values, your beliefs, your personalities, and you can do that through regular reflective journaling. Another part of inner peace is uh, mindful meditation, which will give you better clarity for yourself and also allow you to strategically create a um, an atmosphere that aligns with the type of person that you are. And again, with with inner power is finding what your passion is. And as we talked about, you know, have be if you're if you're an artist trying to let that side of you overflow into your work life so that you can bring that passion uh, aspect to you and keep that coherent identity, uh, despite where you are. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, this ties into, again, most of a lot of things we talked about already in this podcast, finding your values, your goals, being true to yourself. And again, I can see how that's so important to self-advocacy and self-empowerment. Right. And of course, you talked about the the immense power of positive self-talk, which is directly related to your your growth as a person. And, and you want to 
consistently empower yourself to be a better version of yourself. And, and a great way to do that is by having positive self-talk. Uh, you know, another thing is to, and, and she said this a little bit differently, I, I wrote this this point as what Jordan Peterson says, but to compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who somebody else is today. And what that was really in regard to is just not comparing your, who you are to who somebody else is and trying to live up to their standards because you are your own person and live your own life, not somebody else's life. And again, she she talked about that concept, a, a little bit different phrasing, but the phrasing that, that I wrote it down was is compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who somebody else is today. Um, for you know, from there we talked about the the benefits of of coaching and how coaching really empowers others. So the coach will empower the the coachee, the person who is being coached, to empower themselves, and with that will help them to recognize their inner power, which is talking about you know basically understanding who and how you are as a individual. Yeah, you know, throughout the whole conversation, she mentioned various times to use your resources to help you along your growth and help you in this, in this journey. And so she talked about reading books. She talked about listening to podcasts, watching videos, going to coaches. And I think that's so important because as much as we're talking about self-advocacy and self-empowerment, it's sometimes hard to always draw from things that are within you, but you can take from outside sources to add to that well that you can draw that power from. And so, you know, coaching, reading, listening to podcasts, watching videos. And she talked about, uh, I forget how she said it exactly, but basically she just said, never stop learning, never stop seeking information, seeking to become a better person. I think that's how all this kind of ties into using that to help empower yourself and, and feel that and fuel your, your advocacy because you have the, the competence, which as we previously mentioned, leads into your confidence. And so I love that she is so, uh, for, or such a, a promoter of many, many different resources and ways to help build yourself up and educate yourself, because I, I do believe it's a, a very, uh, pivotal part of empowerment and advocacy. Right. And, and, you know, one of the things that she talked about for coaching, one of the benefits of having a coach, which is, is, should be obvious, but I did. I didn't recognize this was to have a opportunity to to have deep reflection and self knowing, and really you have this by building a good emotional con- connection to the coach, and that being done within a self safe space, so you can talk about with the coach things that you likely don't talk about with your friends or your family because of the type of of atmosphere that the coach provides, and through that again you get the the self the positive, sorry, you get the opportunity to have deep self-reflection and then self-knowing, which is able then to identify your strengths and really make those strengths impossible to ignore because of the type of connection and and self-knowing that you have uh, that is is derived from having a coach. Yes, sir. Well, do you have anything to, to close with for our conversation or or again, rather your conversation with Bernice. Yeah. Once again, you know, it was great to have her on and and be able to, to learn from her and, and her expertise and her passion for this, this uh, topic, as we just talked you and I now, I mean, there's, there's a whole lot more that we could explore into how this affects uh, women, how this affects men, how this affects everyone. And, and whether you are uh, a woman or a man, whether you're in a workplace, whether you're working on a passion, whether you're trying to develop yourself, 
self-advocacy and self-empowerment are crucial in, in, in kind of going through that journey. And so as much as we can learn from, from Bernice and uh, as much more as she has to offer, there's so many other people and places that we can go. And I think that this is a key uh, trait to uh, add to your core values, your skills, and something to keep something to keep in mind as you're working on developing yourself. And we keep trying to make ourselves better every single day. Make sure you follow us on social media. You can find the podcast at Prestigious Pod. You can find me, Chris Bean, at Chris Bean Official. You can find me, Mr. Kent, at Mr. Chris R. Kent. And if you like our content and would like to subscribe to our email, you can do that via our social media or on the website. Make sure you also join our Discord for exclusive content and personal interactions. If you would like to be coached on how to live a more prestigious life by me, Chris Bean, you can do that by reaching out on my one of my social medias or by emailing the podcast at prestigiousinitiative at gmail.com. Those are the points. Make sure you come back next week for even more points and another great conversation. Until next time, I'm Chris Kent. And I'm Chris Bean.